once more, welcome to you. God bless you. In the cafe worship this morning, we love you guys. Welcome to you. Uh, Wade Harris, his friend Allie Camp, leading worship in cafe this morning. Appreciate you guys stepping up today. Matt Betts, we love you. Uh, pray that it's a good experience in cafe today as it is in this room. Open your Bibles to Daniel. Chapter 2 is where I'll be preaching from, but start with me right there in the book of Daniel. We're starting a new message series entitled Soul Among Lions. We're talking about the book of Daniel. Now here at Woodburn Baptist, we're going to be doing Daniel for several weeks, not just in worship in these messages, but also in your small groups. Find one of these small group guides on the big table out in the lobby and, and, and follow along. Don't miss your small group lessons. Um, I won't be preaching through every passage in Daniel, but if you do the small groups and you do the messages here, you will get uh, most of the book of Daniel. Just inside the small group guide is a reading plan for the book of Daniel. And what I want to ask you to do, among other things, is spend the next uh, 21 days reading through the book of Daniel together. You'll see that you'll have a schedule. You check the box after you read, and I want you to have all of those boxes checked by the end of the time together. Let's work through the entire book of Daniel together. It's simply a phenomenal, phenomenal book, and Daniel is one of the most amazing uh, men of God in, in, in all of Scripture. Uh, Daniel himself, again, when the story begins, he's uh, about 14 years old, from the best we can tell. He's, he's a very young man, but at the very beginning of the book, already he has experienced more trouble, more devastation than, than most people should have to experience in their entire lives. Uh, the Babylonian army has completely defeated his country, Israel. Uh, most of the people were killed. Daniel would have seen the execution of his parents and most all the adults that he knew. But, but they took the children, they took the very finest of the boys and brought them back to Babylon as, as political prisoners. But more than anything else, their plan is to brainwash them. So Daniel himself at about the age 14 is taken into a very, very deliberate and comprehensive brainwashing program in order to remake him as sort of the ideal pagan Babylonian citizen. And, and, and that is the plan. Part of that, and maybe one of the most important parts of this, is to give Daniel a new identity, to, to make him forget everything he's ever known and begin now to, to think like a, a pagan Babylonian. And a lot of this begins with renaming him. So his name is Daniel. Uh, the name Daniel simply means God is my judge. This last part, El, is one of the Hebrew names for God. So whenever you see El in a Hebrew name, it's a name that connects him back to his God. So the name that Daniel's parents have given him is a name that helps him identify with his God. God is my judge. His name is Daniel. But, but in the new program, the Babylonians try to rename Daniel. They give him the name Belteshazzar. Go ahead and say that because you want to, right? Say Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar. There's a Babylonian god named Beltus, and Beltus is now the new god that they want to connect Daniel to, and the name Belteshazzar literally means Beltus protects me. So a big part of this reformation of Daniel's mind is to change his name, and in the process of this, try to change the God to whom he feels committed to. There's a famous quote by W.C. Fields who said this, it ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. It ain't what they call you, it's what you answer to. One of the uh, phenomenal things about Daniel, even as a young man, is that he never ever begins to answer to the name the world calls him. Understand? He will not forget who he is. He will not forget his God. He will not be changed by the world. And that's part of what makes this young man so absolutely amazing. 
Daniel chapter 2 is where we'll begin. Uh, let, let's start there. You'll do Daniel chapter 1 in small groups today, so, so don't freak out that, that we're skipping that part of the story. You won't miss it, but I'm going to preach today from Daniel chapter 2. This is the place where Daniel first becomes prominent in a, and finds himself on the radar of King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel chapter 2 is where we are. Follow with me, verse 1. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded that they tell him what he dreamed. Okay, what's the problem with that? He wants them to tell him what? He wants them to tell him what he dreamed. As they stood before the king, he said, I've had a dream, and that deeply troubles me, and I must know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, long live the king, tell us the dream, and then we'll tell you what it means. Now, that's a reasonable request. You tell us the dream, we'll tell you what it means. But the king said to the astrologers, I'm serious about this. Okay, he's also crazy. Get used to that. He's crazy. I'm serious about this. If you don't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you'll be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. But if you tell me what I dreamed and what the dream means, I'll give you many wonderful gifts and honors. Just tell me the dream and what it means. Okay, he's crazy. You ready? They said again, please, your majesty, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. The king replied, I, I know what you're doing. You're stalling for time because you know I'm serious when I say, if you don't tell me the dream, you're doomed. So you have conspired to tell me lies, hoping I'll change my mind. But tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means. The astrologers replied to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream. Okay, that much is true. No one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. The king was furious when he heard this, and he ordered that all the wise men in Babylon be executed. Did I mention he's crazy? And because of the king's decree, men were sent to find and kill Daniel and his friends. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. Okay, he's probably about 17 years old now, all right? He asked Ariok, why has the king issued such a harsh decree? So Ariok told him all that had happened. Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Stop there. Don't close your Bible, but stop right there. Let's, let's talk about that. It's amazing. What do you do in your life when the, when the bottom falls out? You, you know what I mean? When just the bottom falls out of, of your life and everything just sort of falls in on itself, what do you do? Because this is where Daniel is now. But, but, but notice that the horrible situation, I mean, everything this young man has already been through. He has seen that the total devastation of his homeland, the execution of his parents, the destruction of all the world that he has known. He was taken into a very deliberate and brutal Persian education program, which probably involved his being made a eunuch. You know what I mean? Don't make me draw you a picture. He was emasculated as a part of this program. 
totally brainwashed. Now he's, he's living in this land, not his land, with this maniac king. And now the king demands that if Daniel can't possibly tell him both his dream and the meaning, he's going to kill him. Okay, that would be absolutely infuriating for me personally. It's just sort of my nature. Um, I, I, I guess sometimes I just feel like there should be a ceiling on the amount of suffering or hardship I should have to suffer. And I wonder if Daniel felt the same way. I mean, if, you're, if you lose your parents and if you're brutalized by the Babylonian army and now held captive in a land that's not your own, you would think that after that point you wouldn't have to face anything else. But, but that's not what happens. Now, in the midst of all of this, the bottom just falls out again. And now the commander of Nebuchadnezzar's army is standing at Daniel's door to kill him, to execute him. But notice Daniel's response, because this is pretty amazing. Remember, he's 17. I don't even want to think about where you were when you were 17. But listen to this, verse 14. When Ariach, the commander of the king's guard, came to kill them, Daniel handled the situation with what? Wisdom and discretion. I asked you what you do when the bottom falls out. Um, where does this kind of composure come from? He handles this with wisdom and discretion. He does not panic. He does not complain. He doesn't even seem to worry. He just handles it with wisdom and discretion. Where does that come from? Verse from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says this, read it with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, did I mention he's crazy? He is just a, a maniac king, power hungry, and, and will kill you without thinking anything about it. But, but Daniel has no fear of Nebuchadnezzar. It, it's striking that he seems unafraid of this man after everything that he suffered. Daniel continues to fear the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He asked Ariach, why has the king issued such a harsh degree? So Ariach told him all that had happened. And Daniel went at once to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. What's he going to do with more time? What's he going to do with more time? Let's look together. Verse 17. Then Daniel went home and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, that's three guys. We know them by other names. What are their other names? Yeah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The interesting thing is how Daniel and these three remain very, very connected. These are really four excellent friends, and they are there for each other. Now, as I said, the, the Babylonian army has taken all of these young men captive from their homeland. And for the most part, most of those young men seem to have just assimilated. They've just been changed by the Babylonian culture. They've accepted their new name. They've accepted their new God. And, and now they no longer seem to remember God or, or, or anything else. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they continue to cling to God and, and to one another. So Daniel goes home and tells his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they would not be executed. So Daniel asks for more time. What's he want time for? What's he going to use the extra time to do? Very simply, when the bottom falls out, you... Fall to your knees. You, you pray. 
Daniel's instinct, his first resort is to pray. Daniel understands that only God can possibly reveal the contents of this crazy man's brain, Nebuchadnezzar. Some scholars say that the reason Nebuchadnezzar wants him to tell him the dream and what it means is because the fool doesn't remember the dream himself. He just knows he woke up and had a bad dream, but he can't, you ever done that? You can't remember your dream, you just know it was bad? Some people say that he may not even remember it himself. He just wants him to tell him what he dreamed and then what it means. He's crazy. Daniel recognizes that nobody can see inside another man's heart. Nobody can see inside this man's head. Only God. Only God. So Daniel turns to God in prayer. It's his first resort. I don't know what you and I would do in that situation. When the bottom falls out for me, I usually start scrambling to try to do something myself. I tend to trust my intellect. That doesn't mean I'm smart. It just means I try to figure things out on my own. And I know I'm not smart. That's why I Google. I mean, if I were Daniel, I would be going back to my room and I would be logging in and I'd be Googling dreams. You know, crazy people's dreams. I would probably Google something or look for a book on dream interpretation. I mean, I would probably try to do some research because that's my nature. I don't know what some of you would do. You'd probably drink or you'd probably get some sort of medication because the overwhelming stress of knowing that when morning comes, you're dead. I mean, you're dead. Some of you would probably just run away. Now, that wouldn't be a bad idea. You got more time, pack a bag and split. I mean, he could have done that. Daniel does none of these things. He asks for more time and simply says, buddies, we're going to pray. Let's pray that the Lord of heaven will show us the secret. Pray that the Lord of heaven will show us the secret. Verse 19. That night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and he said, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Okay, here's the thing. You're going to find out in just a moment. Daniel now knows what the dream is about. The problem is, his situation probably hasn't improved at all because the dream is bad. The dream is bad for Nebuchadnezzar. And did I mention he's crazy? So now Daniel is going to have to go back to the king the next morning and tell him exactly what he doesn't want to hear. This dream is not good news for King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel had this choice. He could have just been run through by a sword by Arioch. That, that could have happened you know, 12 hours ago. But now he's faced with having to face the king, tell the king what the king doesn't want to hear. And then King Nebuchadnezzar has this incredible gift. He can just come up with a, 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 amazing and, and different ways to kill you. He's very creative in execution. I'm not making that up. So understand, Daniel's situation is not greatly improved. However, what does he do as soon as God answers his prayer? He prays. He begins to praise God. So get this. He faces pressure with praise. 
He faces pressure with, with praise. Now, some of you are checking out right now. You're saying, Brother Tim, of course he's facing pressure with praise. God's already answered his prayer. I, I told you, didn't I? The answer to the prayer comes surely as, as everything, but it's still not good. His situation is not greatly improved, and yet he praises God. In the middle of the night, in the midst of pressure, with all likelihood being, he's going to be executed tomorrow in some new and creative way by a crazy king. And yet he praises God. Now, I asked you where his wisdom comes from. His wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Where does this ability to praise come from? The ability to praise God when, when the bottom falls out. The ability to praise God and face death. The ability to praise God when you're 17 years old and, and facing the, the most difficult situation imaginable. Where does that ability to praise come from? Uh, the basis for Daniel's praise, first off, get this principle, because this is pretty much the theme of the entire book of Daniel. No matter how things look, say it, God is in control. No matter how things look, God is in control. Look at verse 21. Daniel praises and says, praise the name of God forever and ever. He has all wisdom and power. God has all wisdom and power. Now, when Daniel says that, there's the flip side of that. When I confess that God has all wisdom and power, I'm also saying at the same time, what? I don't. I don't have all wisdom. There are things I don't know. There are things I can't see. There are things I will never figure out. God has all wisdom. I need to acknowledge that. And God has all power. That means I don't have all power. I am a weak man, and you are weak as well. We like to think that we can gut it out. We like to think that we can make it through anything, but we can't. We need strength outside ourselves. We need power from beyond ourselves. And Daniel says, he has, God has all wisdom and power, and he controls the course of events. No matter how it looks, and that's key. It doesn't look like God's in control here. For all appearances, it looks like Nebuchadnezzar's calling the shots, does it not? Nebuchadnezzar is truly the most powerful king that the world has ever seen. Nebuchadnezzar in his kingdom had two of the, 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 the seven wonders of the world. Nebuchadnezzar was a man of such power. But he was not ultimately in control. Daniel praises God because Daniel knows despite all appearances, no matter how it looks, God is in control. And because he's in control, I know he's with me, and I know he's going to work for me. God is going to help me. I don't know how to make that sink into some of your heads. Simply the knowledge that God is with you and God is at work, no matter how it looks, because it may look like the bottom's falling out, but you don't know yet what God's going to do next. You have no idea what God sees and what God knows. You have no idea what he's about to do. So you can praise him now. You can praise him in the darkest of the night. You can praise him on the night before you figure you'll die in the morning because you just can know that God sees what you can't see and does what you can't do. He's in control. No matter how it looks, God is in control. 
Next one. God's coming through today. Now remember, Daniel has just prayed this amazing prayer. God, you've got to reveal to me the secret of what's inside Nebuchadnezzar's head. You've got to reveal this dream to me and what it means. And God answers that prayer. God comes through for Daniel today. And if God comes through for you today, what does that mean? It lets me know that he's going to do what? He's going to come through for me tomorrow. God has never failed me. God has never forsaken me. And the fact that God has that kind of 100% record in faithfulness, understand? He's not going to let me down tomorrow. Why do you worry? Why do you fret? Why do you act as if God is not reliable? Has he ever not come through for you? Has he ever left you on your own? Has he ever not given you comfort in your pain? Has he ever not given you light in your darkness? Has he ever not provided for you in the end? Has God ever not come through for you? Now, God doesn't, Daniel doesn't know what God is going to do tomorrow. But he knows good and well what God's done today and every day past. And so therefore he knows that if God's coming through today, he's going to come through tomorrow so he can praise him now. Just praise him now, even though he doesn't know yet. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. There's one more thing. The very message of the dream, and we're going to get to that next. The message of the dream is this incredible message of God's ultimate triumph. God is going to win. God is going to have victory. And that in itself must be a message very heartening for Daniel. Simply to know that God, God is going to have victory. Jump in with me now. Let's, let's take a look at the dream. Start with me in verse 25. Daniel now has the dream and the interpretation. So here we go, verse 25. Ariot quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I found one of the captives from Judah who, who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, get this. There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Not good. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. He said it twice now. Daniel never says, listen, I can tell you this because I'm wise. He just simply says, listen, I, I'm no different from anybody else, but God wants you to know, and so God's going to reveal it through me. In, in your vision, your majesty. You saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It, it was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. 
But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That's the weirdest dream I've ever heard of in my whole life. That's just me. That's the weirdest dream I've ever heard. That was the dream, verse 36. Now we will tell you, king, what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. Now he's going to like that, right? He's going to love that. You are the head of gold. But after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. And after that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by the bronze will rise to rule the world. Following that kingdom, there'll be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of iron. But while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage. But they won't hold together just as iron and clay don't mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all those kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Its meaning is certain. Is it? Y'all have any idea what that was all about? Meaning is certain, it it says. Something about kingdoms, obviously. Something about Nebuchadnezzar, who himself is the head of gold. What is the meaning of the dream? It's actually very simple. There's one eternal kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. I tell you, my mailbox is so full of Mitch McConnell and Allison Grimes. Yeah, Allison, what's her two names, right? Lundergren Grimes, yeah. My mailbox is so full of that stuff. Who's reading that? And why is it, con- I mean, why are they calling me at night in my house? You understand? Because there is this tendency for people who seek power to really want power and those who have power to hold on to power. And there is this tendency for our nation or any nation simply to imagine that that, that our nation is the ultimate, that that our nation is somehow going to last forever. Don't you understand that the United States of America, as great a nation as we have, it is not the eternal kingdom. If the Lord tarries, the United States probably won't be around forever. I wish it happened before Election Day, honestly. I I I mean, you know. All of these legislators want us to send them to Washington so they can do nothing. You understand? It's so frustrating. And this is really part of what this dream reveals. It starts out pretty good for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, you are one of the greatest kings ever. You are the head of gold. But then he begins to talk about that succession of kingdoms. Your kingdom won't last forever, Nebuchadnezzar. Somebody's ultimately going to replace you. There'll be another kingdom behind yours. And there will be another kingdom behind that kingdom and another kingdom behind that kingdom. What's the lesson there? Nations rise and nations fall. 
Nations rise and nations fall. When you hear our politicians talk, they seem to lack that humility that nations rise and nations fall. And there is no human king, there is no human sovereign who is sovereign over everything. All human powers are limited. All human powers are temporary. And all nations are temporary, including our great nation. There is one eternal kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. And this is good news. It's good news. It's wonderful news. You don't want the United States of America to be the eternal kingdom. God help us. Certainly there's something better, and this is the point. There's something better, there's something greater, the kingdom of God. And the people who read this dream, that they often try to identify the kingdoms that Daniel's talking about. Some people assume they can, other people assume that, that, that nobody can, that you can't possibly identify these kingdoms. Honestly, for me, I don't think that's the point. I don't think that this dream is given us in Scripture so, you, so that you can spend hours of your life trying to figure out which one is Greece, which one is Iraq. Understand, I, I really don't think that's the, the, the point. I think that, that the basic point is there is one eternal kingdom, and that is the kingdom of God. I think with that, the, the very important point that nations rise and nations fall, but the kingdom of God lasts forever, I think that's important. I think it's also important to recognize that in the dream, every nation is eventually supplanted by another nation, but it's not that things keep getting better and better. It's not that nations get stronger and stronger. According to the dream, what's the story of human history going to show? That everything gets better and better, that nations get stronger and stronger? No, no. What's the dream say? Everything just sort of goes downhill. One nation replaces another nation, but the nation that it replaces is somehow always stronger. The new nation is somewhat weaker. It is not that human history is going to show this amazing story of improvement. It's a story of things going from bad to worse. But it's a great story. Imagine yourself being Daniel, held prisoner in a land that's not your own, uh, by a crazy King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, imagine being absolutely a slave to this king with no ability to defend yourself, no ability to go back home, no ability to answer or defend yourself. He's just simply governed by the whims of this maniac. And then you get this dream, this dream about kings that rise and fall, but a kingdom that lasts forever. Do you see that? Do, do you get that? That there is a God with all wisdom and power, and he is on the throne, and he is in control, and ultimately he has all victory. Because that's the end of the dream. There is this rock, and this is how the dream plays out, this rock that just sort of comes out of nowhere. It's not cut by human hands. It has a different origin. It has a divine origin. It's God's kingdom. And this rock comes, and it absolutely shatters the statues to bits. It blows it to smithereens, and the dust just scatters it away. There's nothing left of all of the human nations, nothing left of any of the great kings, the gold, the silver, the bronze, it's all gone. And the only thing that remains in the end is what? The kingdom of God. 
There is one throne at the end, and God is sitting on it. There is one power in the end, and it is God's power. There is only one future for all of the world, and that is our future in the kingdom of God. So the question becomes, where is the kingdom of God now? If it's on the way like that, like that rock soaring through space, hurtling toward the kingdoms of the world, I mean, where is that now? When Nebuchadnezzar's on the throne, where is it now in this darkest night when I could die in the morning? Where is the kingdom of God now? How does it give me hope? How do I cling to that promise now when I am still subject to the kings and nations of the world? Where is the kingdom of God now? It's it's simple. It's coming. It's also here. How is it both coming and here at the same time? Well, the kingdom of God exists wherever God is on the throne. You see that? Wherever God has rule and reign, the kingdom of God exists wherever God is on the throne. So very, very simply, the kingdom of God exists at the present moment in the heart of every person who submits to Jesus Christ as Lord. You understand? You are a part of God's kingdom even now. Even as it comes, you are a part of it. If the Lord God has your highest allegiance, if you've submitted yourself to his rule, to his reign, it comes down to obedience. I said that the story of Daniel is ultimately a story of obedience. A young man who will not forget his God, and despite all of the pressures and all the appearances of the present world, he will not forget his God, and that means he will not live any other kind of life other than a life of obedience. King Nebuchadnezzar is on his throne, but God is on the throne. Daniel submits to the kingdom of God, therefore Daniel is the sign of the coming of the very kingdom of God. So let me ask you, so many of you would say that, that, that you belong to the kingdom of God too. You, you claim to be Christians, you claim to be religious people, but, but let me just simply say, you can't possibly, you can't possibly be a part of the kingdom of God if God is not the king of your life, if, if he is not the one who rules your life. Some of us live lives of stubborn disobedience. We, we read the Bible and we take the parts we like and we ignore the parts we don't like. You cannot say that God rules your life if you don't submit yourself to what God says. You must live a life of submission and obedience. Either he's the Lord of all or he's not the Lord at all, but you can't have it both ways. If God has all power and all wisdom, then you will submit to him and you will listen to him and you will obey him. That means when the bottom falls out of your life, you've got only one place to turn, and that's back to him. Because you know that he's in control, and you know that he has wisdom, and he has power that you don't have. That's why you pray, because prayer is the language of dependence. If you don't pray, it just simply says that you really don't feel like you need God. And if you don't think you need God, then honestly, you don't know him. As we go through the book of Daniel, you're going to see over and over and over an example of obedience, genuine obedience. You're going to learn how costly obedience can be. And I would say in your own life, if, if obeying God isn't costing you anything, 
you're not obeying God. It's costly, but has great rewards in the end. I don't know any other way to respond to this passage today other than simply to, to submit ourselves to God and his reign, his rule in our hearts. You need to live a life of obedience, and I, and I must too. I don't know exactly what that means in your life. I know what it means in my life. I have a pretty good sense of what God expects from me and wants me to do. I need to do that, whatever it costs me. I need to live a life of prayer. Because if I'm not praying, I'm not drawing on God's wisdom and power. I'm living life in my own resources, and, and, and I'm doomed. I, I need to have that heart of Daniel, who will not forget his God, who continues to return to God in prayer and obedience. And God is going to bless this man. God blesses a life of prayer and obedience. You don't believe me. Test it. Obey the Lord. Talk to Him. See how your life turns. P pray with me. Lord, for some of us in this room today, the bottom has fallen out. Lord, there are people in the sound of my voice who are struggling with sickness, problems that just seem insurmountable, financial, marital, problems with children, problems at work, problems in relationship. God, for some of us, it's just the darkest of moments, and we really don't see any light at all. And yet, Lord, somehow we don't pray. Somehow we don't listen to you, Lord. Even though you continue to show us the path for our life, we continue to walk in another direction as if you don't have wisdom, as if you don't have power. God, help us. Help us to be like Daniel. Help us to pray not as a last resort, but as a first resort. And help us to obey you no matter what obedience costs, but because you are God, because you are the king, because you are on the throne. We serve you. Us, Lord, to find out what obedience means in our own lives. Help us, Lord, to remember that there is this amazing, coming, victorious kingdom of God, that in the end of all things, Lord, there'll be one throne and it'll be you sitting on it. Then in the end, everything that, that we've built, everything that is human, Lord, will just be scattered by dust. The only thing that remains will be your kingdom. Lord Jesus, we long for that day of victory. We long for the day when all the kingdoms of the world vanish. We long for the day when we can see you face to face. So, Lord God, help us today to set apart you as Lord of our lives, to set you on the throne of our lives. Lord, let us be a part of your coming kingdom even now by submitting to your rule in our hearts. Help us, Lord God, to submit to you as God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.